Formed in 1958, MITRE manages federally funded research and development centers, FFRDCs, supporting several U.S. government agencies. MITRE is an acronym for MIT Research Establishment. And as a corporation, it is sponsored by U.S. federal agencies such as the FAA, IRS, Department of Defense, Department of Homeland Security, the Centers for Medicare and Medicaid, and NIST. Perhaps more relevant to security, MITRE maintains the Common Vulnerabilities and Exposure CVE system and the Common Weakness Enumeration CWE projects. Yeah, but what does it really do? Uh, what MITRE does is provide usually high-level understanding to our, our government customers on problems that they face. And that can range anything from work we do with the FAA to work we do with the, the NCCOE, so the National Cybersecurity Center of Excellence, uh, which is operated by NIST, a variety of, of programs in between. That's Frank Duff, Director of Attack Valuations at MITRE Ingenuity. MITRE itself is working in the public good, and MITRE Ingenuity, who I specifically work under these days, focused on delivering that impact to the broader public. So engaging the private sector versus our traditional government space, which is more of uh, MITRE's traditional bailiwick. MITRE works with federally funded R&D centers and public-private partnerships. It works across government to tackle the challenges to safety, stability, and well-being in our nation. In a moment, we'll hear about a cool new framework that MITRE developed. It attempts to map potential threats by looking at past events. It catalogs all known tactics and techniques used by criminal hackers. It's a framework, a tabletop adversary emulation that provides the good guys on red teams, on blue teams, with some guidance to harden their defenses against future attacks. Welcome to The Hacker Mind, an original podcast from For All Secure. It's about challenging our expectations about the people who hack for a living. I'm Robert Famosi, and in this episode, I'm going to talk about MITRE's attack framework and how red and blue teams can benefit from it and how organizations, even security vendors, are now testing their solutions against it. We'll get back to MITRE ingenuity in a moment. First, let's look at the MITRE project called ATTACK, spelled A-T-T ampersand C-K. A few years ago, MITRE came up with ATTACK. It's a framework that describes tactics and techniques commonly used by criminal hackers and state adversaries. And it is proving to be useful when considering threat models. It is based on real-world observations and can be used by a red team to emulate an attack and see whether your organization or its security products can withstand a persistent attack. In fact, that's how it came about. Attack itself is just a project within uh, the MITRE Corporation, right? So um, it, it was originally spun up uh, as a research and development effort um, that, that was being done um, about eight years ago now. Time gets foggy, uh, but, but a long time ago in a, in a prior life, right? Like I was sitting there as a blue teamer we had red teams that were coming at us every other month to assess our, our advances as, as the defenders. Um, and we needed a common lexicon um, to be able to uh, describe what the red team was doing to a way that people like me as the blue team could understand. 
Frank has been at MITRE for many years, and he was there when Attack started. So I was. I was not the, the guy that came up with the idea from Attack from any points. I was, I was on the defender side, um, right? Like I came down, and, and at the time, um, uh, we were looking at how to improve the visibility within our networks, right? So um, everybody was focused on antivirus at the time and keeping the bad guys out. Um, and, and I think the median dwell time, which is like the, the time it took for an adversary to be detected was somewhere around 210 days, if I recall on average, right? That that's, that's a substantial part of a year. Um, and so think about what a bad guy could do in your network for half a year plus, right? That that's, that's not a good feeling. And so we start up the research project to try to say, okay, well, what could we do to, to, to defend against the adversary once they're in? And so we started building out our own sensors because this was before the, the time of EDR. It was before the time of Sysmon or anything like that. We were like, all right, let's build out our own sensor that can capture process information and, and command line arguments. And, and let's figure out how we can advance defenses. And, and so I was on that team creating a bunch of those analytics using sensors we had homebrewed. And, um, and then the rest is history. We've, we've continued to evolve attack and evolve our work program. And I went from a defender to a guy that manages a bunch of red teamers to, to do the evaluations. Um, so it's, it's, it's a fun time. Attack started as a workshop exercise to document common tactics, techniques, and procedures, TTPs, that advance persistent threats use against Windows Enterprise environments. Advanced persistent threats are just as they seem. They're the long game operations where something as small as a single phishing email could escalate into millions of IDs being exfiltrated. So attack began as a couple of red teamers sitting around a table discussing how best they could present their findings to the people who actually make the decisions. Um, and so out emerged this Excel spreadsheet um, of different behaviors that the red team was performing. Uh, which would allow us to focus rather on hashes or specific malware. It allows us to focus on the higher level behaviors to improve our defenses. And what we found was as we were trying to report up our value of doing these red team blue exercises, which we loved because they were super fun, but we had to sell them to management of why they're doing these every other month. What ATT&CK does is provide sophisticated look into what others might assume to be pretty simple fact. You got breached, but how? What were the warning signs and what were the tools they could have used to prevent that from happening again? Much more in-depth um, thing where, where you're trying to exercise your full scope of defenses, right? Because again, right, when, it, when attack was created, we went with this, this presumed breach model, which is you can put up all the walls you want, but sooner or later an adversary is going to get in. And then what? How do you get them out faster? How do you defend them? How do you detect them? Um, and so, so that's where really red teaming um, and, and variations of it, which include adversary emulation, come into play. So internally, MITRE started developing this spreadsheet, this framework, then iterating on it until it was ready to release to the world. We found that attack actually proved a, a good scorecard for our continued growth, right? It's something we could use as a reference model to show this is what we tested against. And this is how we did. And then this next one, these are the things that we focused on improving. And then the next one, these are the other things we focused on improving. And through, so we got to show that iterative growth. And so we thought it was really useful to communicate between leadership and the offenders and the defenders that we thought, you know what, let's publicly release this thing. 
Um, and, and so we released it. Um, it. It started off as as a media wiki. And so it very much had a Wikipedia kind of feel to it, describing just all the things that adversaries could do based on public reporting. Um, we didn't weren't providing any new intelligence. We were just providing at a different level of understanding. Attack is currently structured with 14 tactics across the top, indicating how an adversary would attack a system. The tactics are reconnaissance, resource development, initial access, execution, persistence, privilege escalation, defense evasion, credential access, discovery, lateral movement, collection, command and control, exfiltration, and impact. These pretty much map the activities of most major attacks that we've seen. Maybe not all the tactics are used, but certainly not fewer. They're, they're always changing the number of them, to be fair. We, we recently went through a, a movement that took what we called pre-attack and merged it in um, to some degree, the, the attack um, life cycle, so, or the, the attack framework as itself. The enterprise attack had this portion that was all the things before you get on a network that adversaries do. Let's bring that over. Um, impact was a, a extension last year, which focuses on the other side of the thing. What do they do as, as kind of that end goal? Do they wipe systems? Do they encrypt it in the case of like ransomware? Um, but, but attack itself has tactics at the high level, um, which, which provide an overarching goal that an adversary was trying to achieve. These tactics track against the behaviors we've seen from adversaries. Now beneath each of these tactics are between six and 36 techniques each, which include specific actions such as brute force, network sniffing, and audio capture. In total, there are more than 200 of these techniques. Started off as this small little Wikipedia site and grew and grew and grew from, I think it was around 40 initially to 70 to 270 to now there's all these sub techniques that are associated with it. So now it's just this huge matrix of um, all the things that that adversaries can do um, um, to um, operate within a network, right? So the things that how they can get initial access, how they can move across the network, how they can uh, dump credentials or exfiltrate data or or deliver impact um, um, to to achieve their goal. So um, that's kind of the, the genesis and then the 10,000 foot view of, of the attack framework. And then there's the techniques underneath it, which are the how they can achieve that goal. It's, it's more of the specifics for how they would, would accomplish. So the one case, it could be a credential access is a tactic and dumping credentials could be a technique under that, right? It's specifically how to use the tool to extract them from LSAS. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, so those are the, the kind of um, high level constructs there. What's really cool is that you could start to map specific APTs against this framework. In other words, if I want to see what techniques say APT29 or Carbonac uses within each of the 14 tactics, I can highlight those. Pretty cool. Right. So, so there's the attack navigator project, um, which, which we've also released. Um, that allows you um, to, to select the cells that would be relevant to you. So if you think of a, attack as more or less the periodic table, um, which of the elements make up specific compounds or an adversary? Um, and so what, what you can do is say AP29, for instance, is, is known to use these 60 different techniques to achieve their goals. Um, and, and so when it comes to adversary emulation, which is much more my, my focus area these days, we can build out an appropriate 
um, emulation of an adversary to understand how defenses would perform against a specific adversary of interest. So you can look at an adversary, color in the map, then see if your organization is protected against the techniques used by that adversary. Um, and similarly, you can do heat maps to show defensive coverage. So saying tool X I have deployed in my environment, it provides me this, this broad capability. So I'm gonna color in these cells as things that I know I'm defended against or think I'm defended against. Knowing is always hard, but think I'm defended against or not defended against at all. Or these are the things that I wanna invest in. Um, so so the, that concept of what a lot of people refer to as like the, the heat map or the stoplight chart, there's different variations to pay on the use case. It resonates with a lot of people. And again, that was something we used in those early days to describe what we were doing and how we were improving. It's like, all right, adversary X uses these things. That was the, the, the scale for which we were trying to test our environment, right? That, that was what, what our criteria was. And then these are the things that, that we did well to defend it. And these are the things we didn't do well. Um, so it, it, it just provides a very referenceable um, um, thing. In a previous episode, I talked about the concepts of red and blue teams. Red teams attack, blue teams defend, and then there are the purple teams that do both. This is important for large organizations so they don't have to wait until they are attacked to see how they will fare. They can do exercises and shore up the weak spots. Yeah, so, so it is a possible use. Um, that, that gets a little tricky. Um, adversaries continue to evolve um, and, and attribution is, is a delicate subject to put it, put it lightly and, and by far from where my expertise is. Um, but I know that, that right, it, it's one thing to have an idea of what a adversary or a group of adversaries or a type of adversary would do um, and generally know that they might do some of these other things. Um, but trying to, to fingerprint an adversary too much just based on techniques is probably a little bit risky. Um, but it does allow you to, to hone in on specific elements um, that, that really you should focus your defensive event. It, um, defensive investments with, right? It allows you to understand what you can defend, what you can't defend. Attack also allows you to move to the next level to get ahead of the adversary. Attack is based on past events. So if an adversary is currently doing X, there's a reasonable chance that they'll move on to do Y next. If you see that credential dumping is happening, it makes perfect sense for you to, no matter what the adversary is, for trying to figure out where are those adversaries or where are those credentials getting used? Like what, what machines, if I saw a credential dumping happen on box X, what other machines did that box connect to? And I should be monitoring those boxes extra specifically because right, if you, you dump credentials, oftentimes you move into lateral movement after that using those same credentials. Um, so um, there, there are some tricks that, that can be played, uh, but more than anything, it allows you to just have the, these are the things I should be looking for in an environment or can be looking for. Um, these are the things I know I've got analytics for and here are some things that maybe I need to, to kind of look in the weeds for, uh, look in the raw data for rather than the analytics. That's the blue team. What about the red or offensive team? How can they use attack? That's exactly where where my program has, has started, right? So attack itself, as I, I referenced earlier, is huge, right? It's, it's one of those things that that's, really tough, especially for organizations to get started with, just because how do you prioritize which techniques to, to, to worry about? 
And so where adversary emulation comes into play, it allows you to pick an adversary that would be relevant to your organization. Maybe it's an APT3, maybe it's an APT29, maybe it's FIN7 or Carbonac or any of these other groups, but pick some adversary that you think would target you or potentially could target you. APT3, Carbonac, what are these? Organizations have started to map out common behaviors in adversaries and have named them for convenience. It's shorthand, but it's necessary that we create a common language as a reference point for these attacks. That gives you a subset of techniques to start with, right? You think that this type of an adversary could go after you, you better be able to defend against that, right? If you, if you can't defend against what's happened in the past, which is what attack is, you can't worry about the future, right? You have to start somewhere. And so um, attack and adversary emulation lets you ground that evaluation in something that is known versus a hypothetical. Um, and then um, you, can, you can continually run that same adversary over and over again and see that incremental improvement. You could do different adversaries. One of the things we do under the attack evaluations program, which I run, is um, in the first round, we've chose APT3. According to MITRE, APT3 is a threat group that some researchers have attributed to China's Ministry of State Security. This group is responsible for campaigns known as Operation Clandestine Fox, Operation Clandestine Wolf, and Operation Double Tap. As of June 2015, the group appears to have shifted from targeting primarily U.S. victims to primarily political organizations in Hong Kong. APT3 lies on harvesting credentials, issuing on-keyboard commands versus Windows API, and using programs already trusted by the operating system, so-called living off the land. Similarly, they are known to do elaborate scripting techniques, leverage exploits after access, or use anti-EDR capabilities such as rootkits and bootkits. There's a lot of information available on APT3. It's a good starting point to understand what capabilities can do because they leveraged a lot of um, living off the land specifically by utilizing command shell. So running things right out of CMD. So it's a lot of process data. Um, but then what, what we wanted to do was then the next round, compare that against something that would be a, a higher bar for us to go after. They chose AP29. According to MITRE, AP29 is a threat group that has been attributed to the Russian government and has operated since 2008. This group reportedly compromised the Democratic National Committee starting in the summer of 2015. APT29 is distinguished by a commitment to stealth and sophisticated implementations of techniques via an arsenal of custom malware. APT29 typically accomplishes its goals via custom compiled binaries and alternative execution methods such as PowerShell and WMI. APT29 has been known to employ various operational cadences, such as smash and grab versus slow and deliberate, depending on the perceived intelligence value and or infection method of its victims. And so APT29 is a much more sophisticated actor. They do a lot with scripting technologies, which are harder to defend and detect and, and leverage those detections with because it's PowerShell. Um, and, and it's one of those, it was at the time, one of those emerging techniques, it's still one of the most popular. Um, so you can choose some adversaries, even if they don't necessarily target your, your organization, maybe you want to do it as something of baseline environment versus leveling up your defending capabilities. But in all cases, adversary emulation lets you really have that, that 
known contact, right? You need to have that threat informed defense, not just the hypothetical. And, and I think before attack, a lot of people were, were jousting windmills, right? They, they were thinking that they were going after the threat where really eh, maybe they were sometimes, maybe they weren't other times, but now we know. All of this starts to sound like pen testing. Yeah. So, so, I mean, pen testing by, by definition has a little bit of, of a, a, a difference, right? Pen tests are, are more usually centered around where, how to exploit vulnerabilities to get in. Um, so, right, you do your vulnerability assessment, you know where your vulnerability is. Pen tests go and exploit those vulnerabilities. Red teaming start, has, has a similar vein, but it's much more focused on once they're in. Um, and, and that's where the adversary emulation comes in. It's, it's once, once the pen test had penetrated the network, what can they do? And that's, that's where, where it's the adversary emulation component to try to find all that post-exploit, post-breach behavior. I mentioned earlier that you can map attack against an adversary, but can you map it against an industry? Say you're in oil and gas. Anytime you try to generalize um, to a certain point, right, it hits that breaking point of overgeneralization. Um, I do think that there are specific things you can look at. For instance, when, when you're using attack um, to understand which adversaries would attack your organization, right? So if you know that or that adversary A, B, and C are, are the, the ones most prevalent in your sector, like look at which techniques they have in common, right? And those are the ones you should defend first. Um, so, so there are definitely some things you can do that are more sector specific or, or vertical specific. Um, but at the end of the day, I think that, that there, there's a certain amount of trying to make sure that you've got the broad coverage, because again, adversaries are gonna change to different things. And, and as soon as you defend the one, they'll find a different way because they're persistent, right? They, they want to get in. They want their either IP or they want their to be able to extort you for, for, for your ransom so they can get money or, or any of these other things. Earlier, I mentioned that Frank worked for a part of MITRE. What is MITRE Ingenuity? So MITRE itself is, is still the same old corporation it's always been, um, right? Operating those centers to, to advance capabilities for our government sponsors. MITRE Ingenuity is just delivering that same public interest. Um, however, instead of working with our government, what we do is we'll work with, in my case, for instance, vendors, right? We bring in um, industry, industry pays us to do evaluations. This is more of a testing and training service of MITRE. They, they pay MITRE to perform it. So, right, we, we, we need to be able to execute these in some way. Um, and, and so uh, we, that, that's, how, that's how we do it. It's, it's a, a, a single fee for, for all participants. Um, so there's, there's no favoritism going on or anything like that. Um, and, and it's purely to pay for the evaluation, the processing of results and release of results. Really, this is not too different from a red and blue team activity. Except in this case, the blue team is the vendor and its particular product. Since attack's been around, right, it, it was always focused on trying to advance our defensive capabilities. And, and a common extension from that is, okay, start with the security stack, but that's great, but now I want to improve. I need to know if I need this new sensor. So then you drop it down. So, so we've been looking at, at evaluating products at some level um, since, since pretty much the inception of attack. Um, we quickly got into this, this place where, where a program that I was running, which was another research project, was trying to figure out how to take attack and transition this to the broader community, both our traditional sponsors and not. And so 
what we did then was start using out this methodology to evaluate product specifically. So one single product, deployment arrange, run an adversary against it, understand how they would do. And then we would provide those results back to our government sponsors, our customers. Well, that was great, except then all the Fortune 500s were finding out that we're doing these things. Vendors are finding out that we're doing these things. And, and next thing you know, there's this clamoring that everybody wants, wants us to be able to provide the service more broadly. MITRE is ideally focused on the government agencies, and in this case, government procurement. That said, enterprises have shown increasing interest in attack and looking for MITRE for solution guidance as well. Uh, MITRE decided that we were going to try to do it. And it's something very atypical for MITRE, right? Historically, again, we, we are, are working with our government sponsors, and that's where all our funding comes from. And in this case, it's like, all right, well, to scale this, we have to figure out a different way to do it. And that's where vendors now pay us to perform these evaluations, and, and we execute them. And, and we, right, we went from seven in the initial launch um, to 21 the second round to now 29 in this third round. So it's one of those things that that's become kind of a, a more norm um, of industry um, versus kind of this unique thing we're doing. So again, red team and blue team activities. So it, it's, it's a long process to, to get an, a, a, an evaluation ready. Um, there, there's a lot of research that goes into it. Um, and and at, at a very high level, what we do is we take all the open source reporting that's existed for specific adversaries that we've picked um, and, and we go and process that. We develop a plan of attack that would try to be inspired by that adversary. We're not we're not down to the, the level of trying to make sure that our tool sets are one-to-one -one matches. What we're interested in is replicating the behaviors. Um, and so we'll take their, their plan and we'll sequence it in a way that we feel would be an appropriate um, 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 a representation of what they would do. Um, we, we perform the behaviors as we think they would. We use similar tooling that we think that they would. Um, so we define this whole plan. And that is literally something that we copy and paste during execution when we get there. Uh, but it's a very structured plan. Um, for the setup part portion, right, every vendor gets access to a common cyber range. Uh, we host it currently in Microsoft Azure for our enterprise evaluation. A cyber range is a platform that provides hands-on security practice to teams of professionals. Kind of like a shooting range where a marks person would go to practice a cyber range is where an info professional can learn and improve their security skills. It's not supposed to be realistic. It's supposed to be, here's a few Windows boxes, here's a Linux box, here's a Windows server. Deploy your solutions and configure your solutions, and the vendor does that themselves. Um, so they kind of decide what they want evaluated and how they want it evaluated, which does make it a little apples to oranges when you're considering the results, because some vendors will turn sensitivity up to 11. Some of them will kind of do more like direct out of the box kind of things. Um, it just depends. And some of them will take like, let's let's try to collect this one sensor here that sometimes we collect, sometimes we don't, right? It, it just, it, it's kind of pick your poison. So um, the vendor deploys their solution. The evaluation itself is 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 built to be collaborative. And so one of the terms that that the community uses a lot these days, or it's increasing usage is purple teaming. Um, and, and so that's the mindset we have. And so what that means. So we have that plan that I talked about, which is a copy and place plan. We, we execute that to a T. Then what we do is we actually are sitting there with the vendor in the room or, or on the phone in, in this past year due to, due to COVID. But, but we sit there with the vendor and we say, this is what we did. 
show us what you got. And then they show us all their alerts, all their telemetry that would show that. Unlike a review that I would do for ZDNet or CNET, where I have no idea what's possible or not, just whether or not the solution passes my particular tests, MITRE actually worked with the vendor, course correcting as they go through the evaluation exercise. We might say, you know what, that one is actually something else, or that's just, that's just noise. What we're actually looking for is this specific API getting touched. Do you have anything that would show that? And so then they go refocus and say, okay, this is what we have. This starts to blur the line, crossing now from red team to help the blue team. This is clearly a purple team activity where you're trying to do both offensive and defensive activities. At the end of the day, though, the goal is to strengthen the defense, right? And so we walk through the entire scenario from beginning to end with them, explaining what we do. They can ask any questions they have of us. We are completely open book and, and this is what we did. This is where we did it. This is how we did it. And, and we just collect that as we go. And we are taking a bunch of screenshots and all that stuff, processing that information as we go. Let's look at one scenario. The Carbonax scenario begins with a legitimate user executing a malicious payload delivered to, uh, via spear phishing attacks targeting financial service institutions. Following the initial compromise, Carbonax expands access to other hosts through privilege escalation, credential access, and lateral movement with the goal of compromising money processing services, automated teller machines, and financial accounts. As Carbonac compromises potentially valuable targets, they establish a persistence so that they can learn the financial organization's internal procedures and technologies. Using this information, Carbonac transfers funds to bank accounts under their control, completing their mission. In this last round, we did one for Fin7 and one for Carbonac, which both leverage the Carbonac malware, so it's a little confusing. Uh, but they are believed to be distinct groups, so, so we executed one one day, one the other day. Um, and, and did the same thing both, where we execute and collect all the data. Then there's a protections extension that's optional. So that's now, let's turn on protections and see what we could have stopped. Um, and so for that one, we, we executed similar ways, um, but, but it has some, some, some key differences in, in how we do it just to make the test functional. Um, but, but in all cases, what we're trying to do is focus on attack. Not about the, the malware, but about the behaviors. What are you doing to detect or prevent the specific behaviors we're looking at? Um, and then there's this big processing chain that, that requires us to do a bunch of data processing, which is boring. And then we release the results at the end with everyone, um, and you get all the, the marketing buzz around it. So by releasing the results, MITRE Ingenuity leaves it up to the vendors to make sense of how they fared. Yeah, so, so I think that, that the, it's two different folds, right? I think largely speaking, industry really appreciates that attack evaluations exist and is providing that data um, to, to support or refute claims that, that, that the, the vendors make. Um, I do think that there's a lot of fatigue around everybody saying that they won because of X, Y, and Z, um, right? We, we got 100% coverage over here. We got 100% coverage over here. We're the best because we block the most or detect the most or we're the, the quickest or fastest, right? I mean, it, it, there, there's all different ways of cutting. And, and I'm not, not saying that those are bad uh, things for, for vendors to say, but it's usually skewed towards their one perspective. And then as an end user, I'm just seeing everybody say that they won without the the underlying context of what the results actually mean. So then I have to go in and look at, I being the user would have to go back to, to the attack eval site and actually see like, all right, who's blowing smoke? Who's saying good things? 
but it, again, like I don't, I don't fault the vendors for saying that they did well. They should feel like they did well because we're working with them to ensure that they can improve and do well and do the best that they can. And at the end of the day, each one of these solutions has a different focus, has a different selling feature, has something that they view as a key part of their strategy. And, and so they can each have their own amount of win, um, if you will. Um, um, and, and that can be a true statement. But for you as a consumer, you have to think about which one is right for you. And that's where it gets a little bit more challenging. MITRE Ingenuity releases a raw dump, the same tests used for each vendor. Recently, they provided data from 29 companies and how they would defend against Carbonac and Fin7. But they represent results from a sterile environment. In other words, actual mileage may vary. It's just saying, here's some slices and dices of, of it at a high level so you can dive in and see if it makes sense. Because at the end of the day, there's so much end user context that needs to be applied. Does this solution make sense for you? Does it make sense for your context, your users that are in it, your analysts that are gonna be using the tools? Those things are things that we can't evaluate and, and we don't evaluate. What we do is we say, these are what these capabilities can do. And then here's some screenshots so you can see what it looks like when, so you would know kind of what it would look and feel like if you put it in your environment. The attack evaluations published do not include critical rankings. MITRE, in keeping the stay objective, leaves that for the individual vendors to discuss among their peers. Right. And that goes back to kind of the origins of, of MITRE and the program itself, right? When we started, um, MITRE didn't want to get in the business of providing our opinion of how a product performs. All we want to do is lay out the facts and let people make determinations on themselves, right? We, we can collect data in a very rigorous way, release that data, and then other organizations can use it, other people can use it. It is very great that that so many vendors jumped in initially right off the bat, recognizing that we were gonna publicly release everything because that's been a mantra since, since the get-go. We've told them, listen, all our results are gonna be publicly available. That's that's MITRE's mission in the public good. We have to do that. And we, we encounter very little pushback for that, um, surprisingly enough. Um, I mean, everybody wants the results to look the best, um, but we, that's why we also designed the, the evaluations how we did to include them, right? We, we provide the red team for these evaluations. The vendors, the ones providing the blue team, they're showing us what they can do. They're the ones configuring this. So this isn't to create some sort of good housekeeping seal of approval, is it? So we have no desires to be that, that seal of approval, right? I mean, from a, an overarching construct, right? So, so for like organizations like Splunk that leverage it, right? They, they are not part of the evaluation process or at least haven't been to date. Um, but I do think it's absolutely great that they're picking up attack, they're leveraging attack, they're describing their detections and attack. And that goes for all these other companies that are using it too, right? We, we are very focused on our evaluations on the detection space. Um, but I know deception technology uses it. I know that breach and attack simulation tools use it. I know that, that threat intel platforms use it. There's the, the number of people that use attack in this field is much greater than the people that don't at this point. And I think that that is, is absolutely great. Um, of course, when a lot of people use it and, and, and if I was a Fortune 500, I'd be saying, What's you, what are you going to do to improve my attack coverage? You, you get a lot of oftentimes marketing hyperbole that goes into there and where there's marketing hyperbole, that's where there's usually a need for, for, for evaluations to take place. Just so again, there's some source where people can go and fact check, right? There, there's the data available that you can bounce back to and say, all right, this vendor said that they had 100% coverage. Did they? 
Well, let's dive into it and see what that 100% coverage actually means. With its 14 tactics and more than 200 techniques, attack seems pretty complicated. It's not once you get the hang of it. To help people get used to its structure and to derive some value, MITRE Ingenuity has created MITRE Attack Defender. It provides attack training and certification from attack's own subject matter experts. There's a lot of good open resources around attack. Um, attack has been a grassroots movement, right? It was developed by us, not because we thought that it was gonna be this huge thing, we just found it useful. And so we released it. And similarly, the industry as a whole has created a lot of resources and just released things. Um, recently, Ingenuity has this other program called MITRE Attack Defender, and that is a, a tra open training program as well as certification. And so what we do is uh, we release the, the training free and, and open, and then we have on the back end a certification you can pay for to get certified in, for instance, stock assessments. So you can understand how you can evaluate your organization based on, on uh, attack. Currently, there are two certifications. The Attack Cyber Threat Intelligence, CTI certification, is for practitioners interested in certifying a mastery in the application of attack to improve existing threat intelligence and experiential assessments validate a learner's ability to map to attack from both finished reporting and raw data, perform CTI analysis using attack map data, make defensive recommendations based on research, and more. The second certification, Attack Security Operations Center, SOC, certification, validates defenders' proficiency at using attack to perform rapid, low-overhead SOC assessments. The certification confirms defenders' abilities to align modern security operations with attack for threat-informed defense. Specific topics include analysis of SOC tools and resources, interview and discussion capability, attack with personnel, and building recommendations based on the results. The basic idea here is for organizations to uplevel their security. So SOC assessments are a little different. So SOC assessments more look at like, what is your potential coverage um, versus the hands-on evaluation component. And so these are, these are very complementary things and there's definitely a story to be told. So, so typically what we want organizations to do or suggest that organizations do is first, before you do anything, understand what your current coverage is. So where, where do you have sensors? Where have you put your current investments? What is your coverage? And so the SOC assessment process allows you to say, okay, well, I have these tools. I have data from these sources. These are the things I could theoretically defend against in the attack matrix. And so that gives you a first assessment. Then you could use attack evaluations to say, okay, well, I had this gap. This tool could improve my coverage over here. So maybe I wanna swap out tool A for this one over here that I learned from attack evaluations because it will improve. So you can bring that one in. So that gets you your theoretical coverage still because attack evaluations is built on open book, right? With no noise, it's not based on your environment. So now you have to go in and you have to understand what you can actually do. And so that's why also attack evaluations releases methodology. So you can take our emulation plan and run our evaluation in your own environment. And so what that allows you to do now is you made that initial assessment of what you can do. You made improvements to it. Now let's validate that, the, those assumptions and let's run the attack evaluation emulation plan against my data, 
validate that what I expected to see, I am actually seeing in my environment, if not try to figure out why. And so it's, it's this, this nice overarching ecosystem of testing, right? It, it's the, the soft stuff in terms of let's do the assessment and then the, the red team to really be the, that hard validation. But does attack make sense for SMBs? So I, th I think the, the, the small and medium businesses uh, still have a lot of value in understanding what their tools can do, right? Even if they're not going to do the validation themselves or do the detection themselves, at the end of the day, the people that they are buying products and services from know this stuff, right? And, and so having that be part of your selection criteria when you talk with vendors to say, what are you actually doing for me to address these threats it is an important question to ask. Um, it's important to know where you've got your gaps, right? And, and maybe because you're a small company, you're a little bit more okay with some, some gaps, but you need to make sure you've got core components around maybe the bigger bank things or like credential dumping or the initial access or the exfiltration, or you definitely around ransomware, right? And, and the things that could prelude up to ransomware. And so I think that, um, or data encryption as, as attack would call it. Um, so it's still very relevant. It is a harder thing to get fully immersed in um, if, if you're a smaller organization, just because you have to devote your resources into actually protecting the environment versus doing a lot of, of hypothetical testing and, and analysis and advancing yourself. You're dependent on others. Um, but the good news is, is that the others are looking at it. So as long as you're asking the questions and pushing them in the right directions and, and being able to validate a certain amount of that, I think that's still highly relevant. I, I think that you'll consider, continue to see attack evaluations grow into new, new domains as more and more companies are, are adopting attack. Um, but, but we'll have to see what the future holds. I'd really like to thank Frank Duff from MITRE Ingenuity for walking us through the attack framework. If you're on a red team now, check it out. And even if you're on a blue team, it's worth taking a look at it to know how your organization might fare in an actual attack. It's better you find out now than when your data is truly on the line. Before you go, you can subscribe to The Hacker Mind on Spotify, Google, Apple, Amazon, iHeartRadio, and wherever you find your podcasts and never miss another episode. Check it out. The Hacker Mind podcast is brought to you every two weeks, commercial-free, by For All Secure. For The Hacker Mind, I remain yet another adversary emulation, Robert Vimosi. <laughs>